HMP. Grab your coat and get your hat. Hello, everybody. Welcome to October, and thank you for joining us. This is uh, uh, one of my favorite times because it is first Monday the Supreme Court begins this year's term um, and uh, also gives uh, true meaning to uh, Professor Emeritus Bruce Miller's segment, which is First Monday. So it's First Monday, dealing with First Monday by Bruce Miller. Hello, Bruce Miller. Hey, Buzz. How are you? Good to be with you. It's good to be with you. It is, uh, so it's exciting that the new term begins, but... um, there is a case that I really wanted to talk to you about that is uh, uh, very concerning, to say the least. It's called Merrill versus Milligan, and I know as a constitutional scholar who cares deeply about our democracy, this is one you've been watching. So could you explain for listeners what's the issue in Merrill versus Milligan? I sure will try. The, the issue in Merrill against Milligan is uh, whether or not the rest of the Voting Rights Act, uh, the Voting Rights Act that the Supreme Court put a big dent in more than 10 years ago in the Shelby County case in which they struck down an important part of the Voting Rights Act, whether the rest of it, Section 2, is still left. The case is about Alabama. Uh, Alabama, the, the site of some of the worst voting racial discrimination in our country's history. Uh, right now has seven uh, members of Congress. Um, and of the, the House. Amer- of the uh, House of, of Representatives. Of the yep. House of Representatives. Seven congressional representatives. African Americans in Alabama constitute about 27% of the population, which is about twice, uh, which is, which is about, about two-sevenths. The Alabama legislature... Um, gerrymandered by the a Republican majority, drew the districts for Alabama so that there is only one black majority district in the state, and it's in a majority black part uh, of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, this is notwithstanding the fact that Mobile has a substantial black population. The area around Montgomery does as well. Uh, the Black Belt area between Montgomery and Selma does. But what the legislature did with respect to those areas is divide all the black voters among other majority white areas in order to create six out of seven majority white districts. It is a classic racial gerrymander. And the Supreme Court, as we know, two years ago held that in general, gerrymandering was beyond the reach of judicial review. But because of the Voting Rights Act, racial gerrymanders have been subject to judicial review. And and a federal district court in Alabama held that this drawing of the legislative districts for the state violated Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. Section 2 uh, prohibits denying racial minorities the same opportunity uh, to elect members of their own choice that uh, uh, members of the white community have. And following uh, that provision, a federal district court held that this provision was unconstitutional. Uh, The uh, 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, the same circuit that uh, has just heard President Trump's appeal uh, of the special master matter involving the search in Mar-a-Lago, affirmed that decision with two Trump-appointed judges uh, agreeing that uh, this method of drawing legislative districts violated the Voting Rights Act. Uh, the Supreme Court um, has accepted the case for review, and in fact, back in February, on the shadow docket, um, uh, stopped the initial a decision from going into effect by a vote of five to four um, so that uh, while they consider uh, whether or not the lower court's decisions are correct, the legislature's districting scheme nevertheless goes forward. The important issue in this case is how you can tell whether black voters are being denied the opportunity to elect 
members of their own choosing. And in order to do that, you have to sort of figure out where the black people in the state live and how many of them there are in particular places. Okay, so let me interrupt just to recap yeah, things so ahead. that I'm sure that we're clear, uh, Bruce Miller. Absolutely. So, Professor Miller, if we just looked at the population of Alabama in yep. total and saw that 27% of Alabamans were minority, were yep. black, then we would have out of seven seats in Congress, two. you would expect two. But the you way that it was drawn, we only get one. We only get one. So we went to court, court they went to court, and the trial court said, yep, that's unfair and it violates the Voting Rights Act Section yep. 2 because it yep. involves racial discrimination. And the that was appealed to the 11th Circuit, and the 11th Circuit said, yep, that trial judge was right. That's right. They shouldn't be able to go forward with this redistricting plan. Now, exactly right. That's where you were when we stopped. That's where we are. And uh, the, the Supreme Court... Uh, uh, accepted Alabama's uh, appeal of, the, of this decision and is hearing oral argument on the matter tomorrow. And in the meantime, the court reinstated uh, the uh, district, uh, reinstated the Alabama voting scheme despite the decisions of the two lower courts. So could you explain, they, Professor, what is a stay? Because people hear that word and stay, may not know what it sure. means. Well, uh, what, uh, what, the, what the District Court and Court of Appeals did is issued an injunction. That is an order saying you can't use this districting method, um, and you have to draw a new one. And, and that is what the Supreme Court stayed. And by staying means that they said to, to the Court of Appeals and District Court, you cannot stop them from doing this until we decide whether what you did, that is you, the courts, uh, is permissible or not. So a stay is, a, is an order by a higher court to deny the effect of a lower court's ruling. So they, they essentially uh, gave Alabama a preliminary victory while they heard this appeal. And they're hearing the appeal tomorrow. And, and what's, what's really important about this case is that after the Justice Department was sort of dealt out um, by the Supreme Court of enforcing the Voting Rights Act uh, back in the Shelby County case in 2011, Section 2, which is what makes this voting uh, districting scheme uh, illegal, uh, Section 2 has been the only weapon uh, that minority voters have had at their disposal to secure uh, their voting rights. And, and, and what Alabama is arguing is that what Congress did by passing Section 2 and what the two lower courts did uh, by enjoining the districts that they drew was to take race into account by simply figuring out how many uh, African-American voters there were in different places throughout the states. So they're arguing that by requiring race to be taken into account in order to tell whether African-American voters are being denied opportunities to elect members of their own choosing, Congress has itself violated the Constitution by engaging in racial discrimination. In short, any effort to er eradicate racial discrimination is racially discriminatory. That's Alabama's argument. And it looks, because of this stay back in February, that there are five members of the Supreme Court that are prepared to agree with Alabama on this. What Alabama says is any districts that we draw, as long as they're sort of geographically con uh, contiguous and compact, um, are permissible unless you can show that we have purposefully discriminated on the basis of race. And, of course, uh, uh, the evidence of purposeful discrimination can easily be uh, shielded in a computer program, even if that computer program is drafted uh, in, in order to 
minimize uh, the number of black elected districts. So we've got Congress's power to protect black voting rights at, at stake here. We've got the question of whether the country can even address issues of racial discrimination anymore because of this uh, argument that says, you know, to take race into account in order to see whether discrimination is going on is itself a, a racially impermissible classification. So we're, we're kind of in an Alice in Wonderland world here. Uh, in this case, and it'll be very interesting to to uh, listen to the argument tomorrow uh, to see how much of this game is given away by the conservative majority that now dominates the court. It's really it's uh, it takes my breath away when I when I was reading about um, this case. And again, uh, the name of the case is Merrill versus Milligan. If you'd like to read it yourself, yep. listeners, the uh, according to the census. In 2020, the population with respect to white residents of Alabama fell from almost 69% to 64% over the prior yep. 10 years. That is between 2010 yep. and 2020. Now there are only 64% of the people were white. Yep. Uh, as you said earlier, African American is over 27%, and yet they drew districts that award only one only only one despite the fact that there are are compact uh areas of alabama a highly segregated state where there are black majorities and it would be very easy to draw uh just all kinds of ways of drawing districts that would assure uh black majorities in two uh, of the of the districts uh, now, the Supreme Court has been very worried about this problem of quotas and proportionality. Uh, and, and, of course, underrepresentation is really important under the Voting Rights Act. But it's important that the Voting Rights Act, Section 2, um, also has been interpreted by the Supreme Court to require a challenger, like the black voters of Alabama, uh, to show that they're that, there is a district where there are uh, of sufficient numbers to 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 make uh, for for a majority. That there's a history of block voting in the state, which there is. Uh, white voters in Alabama sadly almost never vote for a, a, a black candidate. I, I kind of wish Charles Barkley had tested that by running in Alabama, <laughs> but it but it hasn't it hasn't happened so far. And of course, Alabama has a, a horrific history of racial discrimination with respect to voting rights. And all of those things were established uh, in front of the district judge. And nevertheless, the Supreme Court in February uh, uh, stake, stayed the injunction that the district judge uh, issued. Finding and that and that's, that's where I'd like to pick up after the break yep. we're about to take, sure. uh, Professor Miller. The... Uh, the trial judge was convinced, the 11th Circuit to which it was appealed, was convinced that, in fact, yes. this map was unconstitutional. And uh, what I want to ask you about when we come back, it's not only Section 2 or the Voting Rights Act, but uh, I know when I went to law school, we focused on the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause. Yes. There seems to yep. be a whole lot of stuff that can be unpacked in looking at whether or not depriving... Uh, minority voters uh, of uh, repre representational um, number of districts is uh, unfair under the Constitution and under the sure. Voting Rights Act. We're going to be back with Bruce Miller, who can... It's great to have an educator on the phone when you're trying to understand a Supreme Court case. We're going to be right back with Bruce right after these messages. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Do 
you know what's going on in business in Western Mass? You do if you read Business West. Find out which companies are growing, which companies are innovating. Learn about people on the move, people taking the lead. Every issue of Business West is packed with business news, including incorporations, building permits, real estate transactions, and bankruptcies. Pick up a copy or read Business West online. The vital business news is in Business West, the business journal of Western Mass. Co-ops build economic power. A co-op is a trusted and proven way to strengthen the local economy. There are no out-of-town owners. The members own it or the workers own it. October is co-op month. Check out our local co-ops, credit unions, worker co-ops, and farmer co-ops. Just $3 a month, and you're a member of the Franklin Community Co-op, Greenfields Market, and McCusker's Market. You live here. You eat here. Be a member. 3 bucks a month. McCusker's, Greenfields, your Franklin Community Co-ops. Everybody needs help sometime. Seven out of ten Americans are one paycheck away from being homeless. In Massachusetts alone, there are ten new homeless families a day. One in four people will have a mental illness at some point in their life. A brain injury can change a person's life in an instant. ServiceNet helps more than 10,000 people each year. Every day, we help children with behavioral issues. We work with babies suffering from developmental delays. We shelter the homeless. We offer residential programs for people with severe mental illness, developmental disabilities, traumatic brain injuries, and substance addiction. And that's just the beginning of what we do. We are here when you need us. We have five outpatient counseling centers with convenient locations in Hampshire, Franklin, Hamden, and Berkshire counties. At ServiceNet, we believe that everybody has the ability to live a meaningful life, and we're here to help make that happen. For more information, please check our website at servicenet.org. Want an abundant, affordable, homemade takeout meal that spares you from having to cook while at the same time supports a local nonprofit program? CSO's Clubhouse programs help folks with significant mental health challenges to live fulfilling lives. And they're raising funds on Wednesday, October 5th with a $10 per meal drive through event. Stop by from 4 to 6 p.m. on Wednesday, October 5th at the Green River House in Greenfield. Dinner for a good cause on Wednesday, October 5th at the Green River House on Franklin Street in Greenfield. Brought to you by CSO. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. And we are talking to Professor Emeritus Bruce Miller. And while we were on break, Dan asked a really good question of Professor Miller, which is, Given what's at stake here in, in, in anticipation that the Supreme Court, which allowed the stay of what the judges below uh, ordered, which is, hey, you better find a new redistricting plan because yours is not consistent with the Voting Rights Act or constitutional, anticipating the Supreme Court is going to do something. Dan asked, can the federal government do anything to force the state to be fair and not racially discriminate. And your answer to that, Bruce, is what? Well, the main weapon that the federal government had uh, was uh, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act, which required measures like Alabama's to be presented to the judgment, to the Justice Department for preclearance, the Justice Department being part of the federal government. The Supreme Court held that Section 5 was unconstitutional on the ground that it wasn't necessary anymore to have preclearance. Um, and so that that important weapon is gone because so race Alabama, is no longer a problem in voting in the United is States. No longer a problem with voting in the United States. Supreme Court said, "Yep." Now uh, Alabama is arguing that even these private suits, like the one the Alabama voters, uh, Alabama black voters, uh, brought, are themselves um, uh, beyond uh, Congress's power to authorize. It's a strange argument. The argument is that because the Voting Rights Act, as interpreted by the lower courts who stopped Alabama, because in order to do that, they had to take into account the race of Alabama's voting population. In order to tell whether a particular districting design has a racially discriminatory impact, you have to look at race. And the argument Alabama makes is you can't look at race. Even to consider it is unconstitutional racial discrimination. 
If that argument is successful, it will in effect preclude Congress from uh, doing anything uh, to address uh, the uh, unfair drawing of racial district lines. Well, it's not uh, unlike the reason why the Supreme Court, uh, has, the majority in the Supreme Court, despises affirmative action, or so they say, because, uh, oh, if we choose a historically um, uh, disadvantaged person because they are black or minority, and, and we're choosing them for that reason, that means the poor white person who wasn't chosen for that slot is being discriminated against because of race, which, of course, is a ridiculous concept. Of course, if we want to remedy racism, of course we have to favor those people who have been unfairly treated, right? Well, I, th- I agree with you about that, but, but I, I guess even, even opponents of affirmative action ought to be very concerned uh, uh, about whether or not Congress can be prevented from taking race into account in order to remedy current, ongoing discrimination in the drawing of district lines. Um, and it's current and ongoing, but very, very hard to detect because you don't have to write it down in order to do it. You know, uh, voting districts are drawn by computer algorithms. And, uh, you know, uh, they uh, don't uh, have language in them that's, uh, that, that say black here, white there. They're just lines on a piece of paper. And the only way to really tell whether they're discriminatory is to look, first of all, at their impact, but also about the context in which they're done. Um, black voting in the state of Alabama forever, uh, a history of discriminatory measures. And if Congress can't pass a, 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 a voting rights measure that's designed to ferret all of that out because it requires looking at race, then what we have done is, in effect, declared that as a country, we are going to turn away from, uh, you know, the racially discriminatory structures that remain sadly uh, embedded in our in our society. It's so really this, unfair this for me to ask this question in the one minute that we have left, Bruce. But can we call ourselves a democracy if we don't insist that all people are fairly represented in Congress? Well, that's you know, it's 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 not an unfair question, but I do take it as a rhetorical question, and I think the answer to that is no. And even worse, we can't do it when it is our Congress, the one part of our uh, federal government that is elected uh, by uh, you know a cross section of our national population. The Senate represents states. The House of Representatives represents individuals. The two together are our legislative body. They have decided that this uh, kind of measure is needed in order to remedy racial discrimination. And if the Supreme Court sets that aside, uh, it's profoundly anti-democratic. Here, here, I... uh... I always seem to agree with what your take is when you're reviewing these things. Thank you so much. The name of the case is Merrill versus Milligan. Uh, this is the first Monday segment on First Monday by Bruce Miller. Bruce, I can't thank you enough. Thanks, Buzz. Have a, enjoy the rest of your time out wherever you are. Sure will. All righty, take care. Folks, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have Megan's in. And a really interesting guest from Broadside Books. We have Roz Kreshak Hayden. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP. Black bodies swinging in the southern breeze. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. A man is dead after crashing into a tree on Berkshire Avenue in Springfield early Saturday morning. According to Springfield Police spokesperson Ryan Walsh, 
Around 1.30 a.m., officers were called to the area of the 700 block of Berkshire Avenue for a single car crash into a tree. The driver was the only person in the car. He was taken to Bay State Medical Center where he died from his injuries. A tractor-trailer crash in Northampton caused traffic delays this morning. I-91 southbound near exit 27 was shut down while cleanup was ongoing. Traffic was redirected off at exit 27 in Hatfield. The crash happened just after 8 a.m. No new trial in the case of Patrick Buchanan versus the city of Greenfield. The city and police chief Robert Haig filed the motion for a new trial, but Judge Mark Mason issued a decision to deny the motion. He wrote on May 6, 2022, after a four-week trial, the jury returned a verdict finding Greenfield and Haig liable for discrimination on the basis of race and retaliation. Upon review, there was no error or miscarriage of justice. Buchanan has 14 days following the denial for the motion to file a request for fees and costs that may have occurred post-trial. A Northampton man accused of murder will get a new lawyer after his public defender asked to withdraw. Stephen Malloy is charged with shooting Joseph Filio of Pittsfield last December. Hampshire County Judge Richard Carey made the ruling on Friday, but said this is Malloy's last chance to get along with his defense attorney before giving up his right to representation. This is the second public defender to withdraw from the case. For the rest of today, skies will be partly sunny. It'll be breezy, highs 58 to 62. Tonight, mostly cloudy and cold. Overnight lows 34 to 38. And the outlook for Tuesday, mostly cloudy. Highs in the lower 60s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. At Greenfield Savings Bank, one of the things we love about living in the Valley is all the locally grown food that's available here. For more than 25 years, a local nonprofit called CESA, which stands for Community Involved in Sustaining Agriculture, has been promoting locally grown food and supporting farms, farmers markets, and food businesses in our Valley. And to support CESA's mission, Greenfield Savings Bank is giving new customers a CESA canvas tote bag as a thank you gift when they open a new free GSB checking account. There are no monthly fees, no transaction fees, and you get free online banking, free e-statements, free debit card, and free GSB mobile app, including depositing checks from your mobile device. Our existing customers can also get a CISA Canvas tote bag when they enroll in GSB's free mobile banking or sign up for e-statements. So, join GSB and show your support for locally grown food and local banking. Get your CISA Canvas tote bag thank you gift from Greenfield Savings Bank. See bank or visit greenfieldsavings.com for full details. Member FDIC, member DIF. 586-1000. Good phone number, right? It's the number Whalen Insurance got when we opened in 1961. It's still our number more than 60 years later. If you need an insurance quote or have a claim, just call 586-1000. We answer the phone, ready to help. That's our pledge to you, until now. Now when you call, we'll answer, and if it's something clerical or routine, like an address change, we're going to transfer you to the Arbella Insurance Call Center in Quincy. You'll be connected with a real person there, too. You won't be entering your policy number on the dial pad. The Arbella Call Center. I told myself Whalen Insurance would never do this. But insurance agent friends all over New England tell me it actually works really well. So we're going to try it. And if it doesn't work well, I'm sure you'll let us know by calling 586-1000. Whalen Insurance. Local people, local service, local insurance. In partnership with Arbella Insurance. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. And we are back. It's that time of the week when it's always entertaining. I always learn from Megan Zinn. And today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite topics, which is our independent local regional bookstores and how much we love that they exist. And I think we're going to be focused on someone from that right now, Megan. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Um, um, my guest today is Roz Krishak Hayden, who works at Broadside Books, one of Northampton's great independent bookstores. Hi. Hi. Thank, well, thank you for being here. Um, and Roz's areas of expertise are literary fiction, romance, especially queer romance, and poetry. And she also manages the store's social media and recently took over organizing events. Um, so just to jump in, what 
What books have been hot recently? What books are hot this fall? Sure, yeah. Hi, thank you for having me. Um, so there's so many books. Fall is a really big time for books, yes. as you know. Um, one that has really been selling well at Broadside is The Book of Form and Emptiness by Ruth Ozeki. Oh, yes. Um, so she is a Smith College professor, mm-hmm. um, highly acclaimed writer. And something that is really cool is so we have her novel, which came out in paperback um, right on the deck at the store. And right next to it is a novel called Night Crawling. Um, mm-hmm. by Layla Motley and she um, was actually a student of Ruth Ozeki's oh, um, just recently so Layla was 20 when Nightcrawling came out wow. um, she's the youngest author to be long listed for the Booker Prize wow. so and it's really cool we have them right next to each other kind of the student and teacher what is the deck it- Oh, so it's sort of the, um, at Broadside, if you've ever been, there's sort of packed shelves, and then we have books that are face up um, just below. So we try Those to put. Yeah, yeah. That we call that the deck. Yeah. yeah. All hands on deck. Yes. Episode. Yeah. Good. That's. Good. Um, Wow, that's really exciting. It I think she was a Smith student. Yes, she, she was there for a semester right before the pandemic. Uh-huh. And I think with the publication of the novel, didn't end up coming back, um, which is interesting. Yeah, which, but, yeah. Uh, very, very exciting to see such a young, uh, powerful voice in yeah. fiction. Yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm looking forward to reading the Ruth Ozicki book. Um, yeah. I really love some of her earlier, mm-hmm. earlier work. Um, any others you want to yeah, touch on? Sure. So just last Tuesday, um, one of my favorite authors, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Strout Mm -hmm. um, published her newest Lucy by the Sea, um, which is a continuation of the kind of Lucy Barton series. So she has this protagonist, Lucy Barton, who she's featured in a number of her novels. Mm -hmm. um, And in this one is sort of her pandemic novel. Ah, okay. Lucy and her uh, ex-husband, William, who featured prominently in her previous novel, escape to Maine, escape the pandemic Mm -hmm. to the coast of Maine and um, kind of explore their relationship with one another, with what's going on in the world. Uh, I love, I'm from Maine originally, so I think nobody writes Maine like Elizabeth Strout. Interesting. I have not read her. Um, And what what are some of the books that are coming up that are not out this fall that you're excited about? Yeah, so there's some huge ones. Um, Actually, this coming Tuesday, Celeste Ng, who's the Mm -hmm. author of Little Fires mm -hmm. Everywhere, Everywhere, um, she has a new novel. It's called Our Missing Hearts. And it's a little bit of a departure for her. It's got a slightly dystopian bent, and it's about um, censorship and uh, a mother who's a poet, and her poems are being censored by the state. And um, so very interesting, Interesting timely. Yeah, yeah, so very excited about that one. Yeah, yeah. One of my favorite poets, who's actually a local poet, her name's Franny Choi. Mm -hmm. Um, She has a new collection coming out. It's called um, The World Keeps Ending and the World Goes On. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, yeah, she is uh, a really wonderful poet. And um, this collection, I think, will be a a really interesting way to kind of think about the pandemic Mm -hmm. and. People are saying a lot, oh, it's the apocalypse. And I think her point is um, it's been the apocalypse a few times, especially for communities um, that have been oppressed. Mm -hmm. And how can we support each other, lift each other up? Um, And she is local to the valley. So it's exciting. Yeah, that is exciting. You know, that brings up um, a question. You've touched on a couple of books that um, both hers and um, um, the Stroud book you know, our books clearly influenced by the pandemic. Yeah. And are you, what are you, are you, and what are you seeing coming? I assume the books that were written during the pandemic and very influenced are starting to come out now. And yeah. I'm really curious as to whether there are particular trends along that line or mm-hmm. what you're seeing um, from your perspective? Yeah, I think it's really fascinating to start seeing how, you know, some of our best writers are addressing this crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, in particular, I've seen it go two ways. I've seen on the one hand, people really wanting to dig into hard issues. Um, I think a lot of books about grief um, have yeah. come oh. out in the last year. Which, and mm-hmm. I do think there's been a shift in the way we write and talk about Mm -hmm, grief. mm -hmm. Um, So there's been, I think, 
Seeing Ghosts is a memoir by Kat Chow that okay. I've just recently read um, that comes to mind on that topic. And then I think in the total opposite direction, a lot of people have come into the store and say, I just want an escape. Yeah. I want to go somewhere else. Um, and so we're seeing a lot of those kind of books as well. Mm-hmm. And I love that it can, the kind of adventure. It can go either yeah. way. Yeah. I, was, I think I was saying last week that um, in um, the romance world, which I know that you know, there are at least a few books, if not more, coming out that are kind of big adventures. Mm, um, one being Christina Lauren's and I'm blanking on the title, so I won't try to say it. Um, it's their, their most recent book. They're two authors. And it is like a big romancing the stone type adventure mm. um, in, in caverns in Utah. And um, th- I think that there's certainly going to be some of that because people were stuck in their little apartments writing mm-hmm. and imagining, imagining adventures. Um, yeah, so I think... It's really fascinating to see how that plays out in art. Absolutely, yeah, and it's, I think I like that as readers we can read a you know a hard memoir about grief mm-hmm. um, or about isolation, and then we can also escape into a romance novel that's going to give us that adventure, that happy ending, and either way, you know, <laughs> yes. we can do it all. <laughs> do you have a sense? I, um, you told me earlier that you started working at Broadside right in the middle of the pandemic in June of 2020, and did, did you see any patterns of what books people were buying? during the pandemic mm, um, yeah. to get through, particularly those, you know, probably the first six months you were working at the store. Yeah, so um, I am a novice bookseller, really. Mm-hmm. Um, just about two and a half years when I first started um, was in June 2020. So sort of in the beginning of a lot of, or in the middle of a lot of the Black Lives Matter uprising. Okay, so that we would were make seeing sense. Mm-hmm. a lot of that, um, both in nonfiction and fiction. Um, the Vanishing Half by Britt Bennett was a big novel at that time. Um, Dr. Ibram Kendi's, you know, mm-hmm. how to be yes, anti-racist, yes. all of those things. Um, and then uh, on the one, you know, people really dealing with the pandemic in that way and wanting to dig in. Um, and then a lot of books that I think I think were healing for people. One that comes to mind is Braiding Sweetgrass oh, by Robin Oh, I did Robin read that. Yeah. That, that yeah. is an extremely healing book. Yes. And I read that during the, the pandemic. It's quite beautiful. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah I think it just gave a lot of comfort yes. um, to a lot of people. Yeah, and it's also such a... Um, it, it shows a different way of looking at the world. I mean, I mm-hmm. believe I think that's really part of her intent in writing it—a way of different way of looking at ecology and mm-hmm. and and how how things grow um, mm-hmm. from a, um, a native perspective. I'm going to put this question to you, Megan. I know my wife is an avid. Uh, she she has a, uh, uh, a a deep love for the New York Times Book Review, so mm-hmm. she she gets a lot of her. Oh, I want that by reading that. Where do you get your uh, list. Oh, that's interesting. Um, part of partially just from what friends are talking about, and I guess that would be social media because I, the mom type person, have friends who are talking about books on social media. Very often, somebody will say, "What should I read next?" and everybody they know will pile on with answers, and you get a lot of good mm-hmm. suggestions. I'm also in a book club, and so a lot of what I read are what. Um, we've decided to read for the club, and very often that's coming from someone else. Um, it's kind of the beauty of book clubs mm-hmm. because you read stuff that you wouldn't normally pick up. Um, and uh, I learned a lot about romance novels from a podcast that I listen to, so mm-hmm. I, I get some of it from definitely stuff from podcasts. And we have one minute before we take a break, Roz. Uh, what do you recommend as a resource for people who want to? try to figure out what should be on their list. Yeah, absolutely. So I would recommend, um, I know it's sort of an overwhelming space, but Instagram, um, particularly Bookstagram, mm-hmm. is kind of the space of Instagram where people... You just lost my wife. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's overwhelming, but it really, I find, um, you know, particularly marginalized authors um, are able to promote their books in that space, yes. um, kind of on their own terms, and that can be really exciting. Um, so I I'd really do recommend it. <laughs> and I've recently discovered Book Talk. And yes. insta- if, 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 if Bookstagram is too much. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, book Talk, yes. which is TikTok. <laughs> but P- and there's quite a few authors and fans who, who are now using TikTok um, mm-hmm. as a way to promote the books. Mm-hmm. And you get a lot of fans, real quick things saying, you know, these are my five favorite books about this. And they and they show the books, and mm-hmm. that's the, the extent of it. That's it. All us literati are going to become <laughs> illiterate. So there we go. No, I mean, uh, those of us Luddites is what I was going no. to say, become illiterate. So we're going to be back we're, uh, with Megan. This is really interesting, with Roz 
Kreshak Hayden. Uh, we're big fans of Broadside Books, and it's so nice to have you here. Thank you, Megan. We're going to take a break and be back with Megan and Roz right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg. 101.5 WHMP. Are the judicial walls closing in on Donald Trump? What are the odds that he really is on his way to prison? Join us for a special edition of Law & Order with former U.S. Attorney for Western Massachusetts, John Pucci. That will be Tuesday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9. And again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. Dinner tonight starts with a tap. Tap the local hero guide on the CISA website and find farm fresh food close to where you are. There are so many farms and farm stands just minutes away. Look for the bright yellow local hero label in stores and restaurants. Local hero food, the beauty and the bounty of our fertile river valley farmlands on your dinner table tonight. The local hero guide is at the CISA website, buylocalfood.org. Why work for just any hospital when you can work for Cooley Dickinson Hospital in Northampton? Cooley Dickinson is the winner of the Best Local Hospital Award by the Daily Hampshire Gazette's 2022 Reader's Choice Awards. And right now, they're offering a $7,500, yes, a $7,500 sign-on bonus for surgical techs and first assistant surgical techs. Don't wait. Visit CooleyDickinson.org today to apply. Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. This is Megan Zinn, and I'm here with Roz Kreshek Hayden, who is one of the booksellers at Broadside Books in Northampton. Um, and I'm curious as to um, how, um, what Broadside had to do and did to, you know, stay afloat during the pandemic. Um, they did, thank goodness. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the strategies? Yeah. So um, as you mentioned earlier, I started working at Broadside in June 2020. So, you know, a few months into the mm -hmm. pandemic. Um, and I think the first thing um, that has to be said is our our three co-owners, Bill, Roxy and Nancy, um, really carried the store. I mean, they oh, are um, just incredible booksellers, mm -hmm. have so much experience uh, from, you know, making personal deliveries, curbside service, um, just really being flexible to bring books to the community. And then, of course, the other side is the community. I think um, the pandemic was obviously very scary in so many ways, but I think it made people look at the community and say, what do I really want to yeah. be here? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and thank goodness people want a bookstore, want an independent bookstore like Broadside. I have read, is it true that Broadside, you can order 2.4 million titles through Brookside. It's Brookside. true. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So if we don't have a book, we will do everything in our power to get it for you. Um, yeah. Which is something I often like to say to people. You don't, if you want to order a book and you don't need it tomorrow, it's true. Um, you can order it from your independent bookstore. Mm -hmm. And with Broadside, and, and I think this is probably true of a lot of independent bookstores, the, the your website is very easy to use and you can order the book there and you can pay for it there or you can choose to pay for it when you pick it up and mm -hmm. you can have it delivered or you can pick it up at the store. Mm -hmm. So um, there are very good alternatives to the megaliths um, right. book, booksellers. Yes. Um, <laughs> and when you started there, they were obviously back to selling in person. They had a, a period of um, um, selling, I assume, just online and, and um, curbside. Mm-hmm. 
That's right. Yeah. So I started really just a few weeks after um, we went back to in-person selling, although with of anyone who wasn't comfortable coming in, you know, offering curbside yeah. and, and delivery within Northampton yeah. as well. Yeah. And did, um, you know, in the past couple of years, have they done any other sort of um, un- different ways of kind of um, enticing people to the store, um, different strategies to stay afloat? Or was it really just they were able to keep selling because we have a community that will buy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that is the main thing That's fantastic. is that our community yay, Northampton. Really well, invests. Yay, Valley. Yes, exactly. Um, and so we're, we're really lucky for that. We, you know, we try to, we have a MTA members discount. Mm-hmm. We have the loyalty um, customer stamp cards, um, things like that, yeah. that we, we want to just recognize our customers and how much we appreciate them. But um, I think the combination of our community being so supportive and then also just remarkable books coming out, um, just both of those and people being so hungry for them. Yeah, yeah. and my husband's in the MTA, and I didn't realize he got a discount. Yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. On a sort of a larger scale, um, everybody knows that independent bookstores have struggled, Mm -hmm. not just with the pandemic, for the past 15 years, probably 20 years, um, against online online Mm -hmm. books um, and and how to manage in a world with uh, digital books. Mm -hmm. Um, And I got the impression from some things that I read that um, in recent years, pandemic notwithstanding... um, Independent bookstores have been doing better. They've they've kind of hit a a plat not plat a good plateau where and um, have been fairly strong. Do you have a sense of what they are doing or why they are able to um, you know be in decent competition with with the megaliths? Yeah, I think um, I think it's definitely true. We are in decent competition, and um, I think it really speaks to. I mean, it's almost a cliche at this point, but. It is a better experience to buy a book from a person mm-hmm. than from a machine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, on some of the, you know, on Amazon, you're going to get recommended a book through an algorithm. Um, and if you walk into bro- to Broadside, you know, I might recommend you a romance novel, or my colleague Ted might recommend you um, some science fiction that he loves and reads. And I think books are more than so many other products in the market are so personal. Right. Um, you know, whether it is a grief memoir um, because you are working through a loss or you want to escape into a romance novel, you're coming to that from a really personal place. And I think I think people like to buy books from people. Um, and it's, it's really, it's in a lot of ways, a lot more complicated than that. But in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, mm-hmm. it is that simple. Um, and, and bookstores do all kinds of incredible things to draw people in. Um, but I think it's the people and the enthusiasm for books yeah, that yeah. Um, both at Broadside and we should say like within the Valley, there are so many there remarkable so many. bookstores. And they're filled with um, em- uh, owners and employees who love books That's and right. love to talk about books. That's right. um, and you mentioned, again, with books, you know, some people are coming in and wanting books about grief and to, to lean into that. And mm-hmm. some are wanting a nice escape and mm-hmm. to lean into that. Um, what, do you, what do you find for yourself, um, and particularly during the pandemic and during such tumultuous um, years politically, do you tend to lean into the the feel good and the fantasy or the grief? Yeah, I really love a balance of the two. <laughs> okay. um, I really do. So I love literary fiction. Um, you know, I want a novel that's going to make me a little bit uncomfortable, mm-hmm. um, make me kind of ask hard questions. Um, but I, during the pandemic, particularly developed a real affinity for romance mm-hmm. novels, um, which a I... A lot of people did. Yeah. And I used to have a lot of preconceived notions about mm-hmm. what those were. Um, and I was completely wrong. Uh, I think there's something actually really powerful about romance novels that kind of guarantee a happy ending, um, but particularly when they're written um, for marginalized communities, so queer romance Mm -hmm, novels where I have two queer characters and I know that they're going to have a happy ending. Um, For me, that is just incredibly healing. Right, right. So um, I really like a mix of the two. (laughs) Yeah, that's lovely. Um, And so are you, um, you speaking of, um, you know, books on subjects of uh, LGBTQ subjects, Mm -hmm. do you... Does Broadside ever experience any of the pushback that, um, you know, other uh, bookstores are experiencing around the country? Um, Penn America reported that 138 school districts in 32 states banned more than 2,500 books during the 21-22 school year. Good. Mm. Goodness gracious. Yeah. I mean, that's... Not surprising. 
um, incredibly distressing. I think at Broadside in particular, I would say we don't, you know, very, except for very, very rarely experience pushback. And we we want you to walk into Broadside and see where we stand yes, on this, yes. these issues. Um, and we, our community being in Northampton is very supportive. Um, but I think, if anything, we see when books are being banned, there's a graphic novel called Gender Queer by mm-hmm. Maya Right, that's Kavabe. one of the big ones. Yeah, um, I mean, we couldn't get copies of it because it was, it was selling so, so rapidly. Well. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm proud of that, but I, I do think when we we see that happening in other places in the country, we should really ask ourselves, you know, why? Why are those books being targeted and what can we do? Um, and, and how can our bookshelves really reflect our values? Um, so while we don't experience the pushback, I think we do take it really, really seriously. Yeah, and I imagine it influences um, what what the store is buying and what you're mm. highlighting. That's um, right. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, and um, the... Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Jeez, um, um, what are some what are some, what are some of the books that you are selling that um, are are banned elsewhere? Yeah. Um, and what? Um, what are some of them? Yeah, so um, I mentioned Gender Queer, which is a graphic memoir. Um, we've also noticed uh, graphic memoirs in general, interestingly enough, do tend to get banned more. The Mouse series yes. um, by Art Spiegelman, you know, classics. Um, we couldn't get a hold of those because they were being banned. Um, right, but. It makes us realize how essential they are. A lot of young, not surprisingly, being in schools, a lot of young adult um, Mm -hmm. literature. All Boys Aren't Blue by George M. Johnson is a a memoir for um, young people that has been targeted in those bands. Um, A a lot of books on anti-racism for kids, Mm -hmm. in general, and for kids. um, So How to Be an Anti-Racist, which there's a for young readers, for middle grade readers. Um, All of those books, I think when we see them being banned, it almost puts off an alarm bell in our heads even more like yeah. that is important we, we want those books in young people's hands yes yes and it, you know it's interesting what you were saying about um sometimes having trouble getting the books mm. it's like there's this two kind of a two-way street with bannings i mean uh, they're all they're never they're never a good thing they right. are always bad right. but at the same time they often sell more books i mean mouse's 30 years old, and I think it was on the bestseller list again because of the bands. Mm. Um, so it's fascinating that people um, who are trying to ban books, I often wonder if they know that what they're actually doing is selling more of them. That's right. I don't know. You know, the, the more we, we sort of uh, talk about gun regulation, the more guns get sold. It's, it's mm-hmm. just a phenomenon that happens. I My final question for you, Ross, mm-hmm is if people want to know, I know that uh, there are book readings all the time where you can meet the That's author. Right. And How do people sign up to be getting notices from Broadside of what's happening? Yeah, so to go back to Instagram, I would recommend following us on Instagram at Broadside Books. Um, I run that, so I definitely will keep our followers updated. Our website, broadsidebooks.com, um, is going to have all of our events, uh, Facebook as well. Um, and yeah, just always you can come in the shop and see what's going on. What about emails? Can people, because some people aren't Absolutely. Instagramers Absolutely. like me. Do you, for do you have a mailing list? Um, we, so we don't have a mailing news. Newsletter. Um, you can a- email any of us. You can email just store at broadsidebooks.com. Generally, um, you can email me, Roz, R-O-Z, at broadsidebooks.com. Um, at both about events and just book recommendations, queer romance, anything. Um, uh, you know, would be a joy to talk about books with anybody. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you for being here with me today, Roz. It was thank great you. to talk about books with you. Yeah, thank you so much. I love broadside books. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for, once again, Megan, thank you so much. Uh, Learned a lot about Broadside today. Learned about what's hot. I'm sure we're going to be listening to, uh, to what's going on at Broadside Books. Thanks for joining us today, and join us tomorrow on the Afternoon Buzz, 4 o'clock. Have a nice night. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP.
Today and every day, millions of people do business with co-ops, food co-ops, credit unions, worker co-ops, energy co-ops, farmer co-ops. Go co-op and build economic power right here in your community. October is co-op month. When you shop at River Valley Co-op, you create hundreds of union jobs. River Valley Co-op does millions of dollars of business each year with local Live farms and, and local businesses. Live and local news and in talk Northampton, for Northampton and the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. Northampton Radio Group Station. 